Ooh, welcome back to We Are Movies. I'm Johnny Mockney, and this is another episode of the Halloween season. I'm going to cut to the chase pretty soon. Just a couple things for you out there. Uh, if you want to see me live, I will be at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase this weekend, October 12th, 13th, and 14th, emceeing for Bob Phillips. I will be at Ernest Brew Works in Toledo, Ohio on the 18th with Brad Wenzel. And on the 25th, I will be at the Oleman Cafe in Hamtramck, Michigan. So um, if you want to catch one of those shows, if you can, if you're in Michigan, or Ohio. There you go. That's it. And uh, my guests today are Mike Bobbitt and Brett Hayden. They're on every single year. Uh, it's not Halloween or any other type of holiday without the both of them. And uh, without any further ado, please enjoy this very special Halloween episode of We Are Movies. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Thank you it's, so much. It's good to be back. Um, if people listening at home, you just heard the voice of Mike Bobbitt, the great regular on the show. Uh, Mike, how's your Halloween season coming along? Are you in the spirit yet? I most definitely am. I uh, My oldest son is now old enough to kind of appreciate Halloween and... Uh, so it's making it particularly fun next weekend. We're going to Greenfield village for the Halloween walk that we do every year and uh, do the train ride. And I think he's really going to appreciate it even more. So yeah, like I, I always love Halloween. Our anniversary is October 27th. So my wife and I are really into the season, but being parents, and being parents now of a kid old enough to appreciate it like we do is making it particularly fun. Great. Uh, that's, that is amazing. Like I, I, I genuinely like I get a nostalgic joy every time I see a kid enjoying Halloween. I think that's probably one of the, has to be one of the best parts about seeing a kid grow up is getting them into that spirit, you know? Yeah. Really. Yeah, absolutely. I, Brad Hayden is also here, the, I, I guess, honorary co-host of the show, um, as we've said before. Uh, Brett, how, are, do you feel like you're in the spirit yet? I am. Uh, actually, my girlfriend and I are doing a 30, uh, 30 or 31 days of Halloween, like nice. kind of movie marathon. And it's been fun because uh, she hasn't seen anything we've watched. So she's catching oh. up on a lot of stuff. Uh, we're only 12 movies deep so far, but, you know, she's never seen the original Texas Chainsaw. Got to wow. show her that. I showed her the original uh, Black Christmas, like the OG. That's been cool. I showed her Sleepaway Camp for the first time. Uh, I, what did you I think of that? Sleepaway Camp? She thought yeah. it was, she goes, is it supposed to be stupid? And I was like, yes. And then she was like, oh, <laughs> then this is the greatest movie ever. Mm-hmm. And the ending what, definitely made her laugh. So, did she have uh, a particular favorite out of what you've seen, shown her so far? Um, there's been a couple things like Shutter, sort of things that she enjoyed, but I think her favorite so far has been uh, the Cabin in the Woods. Okay, nice. And yeah. it's weird because she doesn't she likes horror movies, but she hasn't seen a lot of the stuff that it's I guess uh, paying homage to in that movie. 
But she said, like, the entire time she had no idea what was going on, but she couldn't be more excited for a ton ravel. And then, mm-hmm. you know, she also liked that uh, the stoner character uh, kind of was uh, a hero and actually kind of saved a lot. Like, everything he said, it wasn't just, like, crazy high thoughts. He actually, like, knew what he was talking about. And she yeah. actually appreciated all of the the lack of, I guess, conventions that, like, horror movies have taught her over the years and she said it was like it was scary at times but it was actually really funny and she was very entertained so i think that's the one she keeps talking about the most so because you guys are both um movie guys uh fran kranz who plays the stoner in that have you guys seen his directorial debut oh i i heard recently he did direct a movie i don't remember what it was i'm blanking on the title of it but it is uh, definitely worth seeing. It is such a masterclass in acting and um, simple storytelling. Uh, I'm I'm mad that I can't pull the name of it right now, but I highly recommend it. Okay. Um, is it is it one of the ones that just Math. recently came out? Mass. Yep. Mass. Yep. yep. Yeah. Oh wait, I did see Mass. Yes, okay. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. forgot he directed. It. Yeah, no, that's an incredible movie. Yeah. That's like uh, it's it's like a Twelve Angry Men style type of yeah. Film where it's just instead you know, of these, one yeah, room movie, in a room. Yeah, instead yeah. of Twelve Angry Men, Four Angry Parents. Four Angry Parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's great. I uh, I do Brett, if, if you haven't seen that, yeah, I. I've heard of it. I think I've seen a couple movie reviewers talk and anything that's kind of in the realm of like a 12 angry men. I'm a big fan of, I love anything where you can get a lot out of a little. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, that being said, we are three happy guys and, um, are we (laughs) here? I guess so. I don't know. Uh, I think so. I think we're relatively happy. I mean, all uh, three of us are smiling. We are smiling. Well, we're yeah. all talking about horror movies. It's like our favorite well, it's thing. Well, easy to lie about that in this uh, audio format. but Yeah. <laughs> They'll have to take our words for it. But um, I uh, I guess, you know, before we've started, we've gone youngest to oldest. We've gone oldest to youngest. I think I'm going to throw the order completely out and we'll go Brett and Mike and then me. I think is, is oh, the most handsome to least handsome. Great. There we go. I was going to oh. make that joke. I was going to make that joke self-deprecating to me, but I didn't want to choose favorites between you and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I I can accept that Brett's way more handsome than I am. <laughs> I, can, I can too. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make the joke that uh, everybody assumes that based on my face, I would make and then just let them feel validation for once, I guess. <laughs> um all right so uh for people at home who don't know uh the goal today is we're talking about performances great horror movie performances we each came up with a top three of our favorite performances in horror films and then at the end we're all going to pitch one actor who generally hasn't done horror movies who we believe should so um, I guess we'll start with our number threes, work our way to our number one. Sometimes I know, Brad, sometimes you don't really work in order. You just kind of have three, which is fine. Uh, yeah. But who is the first person that you want to bring up today? So if we're doing it in that sort of way, uh, I'll try to bring up, uh, I'll try to get the obvious ones out of the way that people would know. And then we'll kind of get to like an obscure one. Uh one that I was thinking about the other day and then I had decided to go with is uh, Dwayne Jones in Night of the Living Dead. 
Mm. Just because you don't really, I don't think a lot of people, especially young people, have seen Night of the Living Dead. And I think enough people know what it is because I think it's still in the public domain. So it's just like one of those movies everybody kind of knows. But people forget, like, uh, there were not black leading men in the 1960s. And you watch that movie now, he's still a great character. And he's yeah. still very human for what's going on, especially back then when people had, like, when Night of the Living Dead was actually shocking. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a great choice. He's, uh, that's a movie where, I mean, particularly him being the lead, where you also have the father of, you know, sort of a classic nuclear family in that movie. He's a total doofus and he's an idiot. And that's who we expect to be the hero. And, you know, all the other male characters in the movie don't know what they're doing. And, and he is really the one who has control over the situation. And he, he does do that so well. And I think it's also, a lot of changes uh, like if you look into it he made a lot of changes from the script where originally the character was written to be like a trucker but he kind of made him a more sort of kind of educated eloquent kind of you know more reserved kind of guy and i think that works so well in the movie what a double feature like night of living dead and in the heat of the night yeah wouldn't that be yeah. great that would wow. be good and assault on precinct 13 yeah, yeah. Also, one black character kind of having to prove himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carpenter's probably one of his best, or at least his like best unknown movies to a lot of people still. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I hadn't seen Assault until you guys talked about it, because it I've only seen it within the last couple of years, and oh, that wow. is a phenomenal movie. Yeah. yeah. Super low budget. Like, it even... It, it predates Halloween, does it not, Johnny? Um, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's actually the reason uh, Donald Pleasant signed on to do Halloween because his daughter liked that movie, and she yeah said, "I you should work with that director." But uh, I think he said that like Night of the Living Dead. That that movie's basically Night of the Living Dead and Rio Bravo kind of combined. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is what he said, and you can see. That, I mean, it's Night of the Living Dead essentially with it's a gang instead of zombies, right? Uh, but it's that siege movie. It's people outside trying to get in. And, you know, you have one character who's the sort of the, you know, one black man, literally the only uh, out of the heroes, the only black man there uh, who has to who ends up kind of proving himself and proving to be like kind of the wittiest person out of all of them. And uh, the funny thing is, like with Night of the Living Dead, they've even said like they didn't write him in the script to be a black guy. It was just they just cast Wayne Jones because he was the best actor for the role and uh like truly sort of like colorblind you know reading and then obviously with that context it's so 1968 and that's the year that martin luther king was assassinated and so we project so much onto that movie and the racial politics which weren't there intentionally but has just like just ended up 1968 creeped into that movie like it just happened you know yeah it's kind of a beautiful thing yeah and then the i mean people have had 60 70 years to you know catch up and watch the movie but like then the ending happens and you're just like what the hell yeah. <laughs> you know yeah and uh you mentioned it earlier but it was something that i thought was interesting it's like you know how now like a lot of heroes in movies they're not to say that dwayne jones wasn't like uh like a handsome guy or anything but they're always kind of like uh they always try to make like the hero like this like you know 
super muscular, very aesthetically pleasing sort of, you know, sympathetic figure. And he just looked like a regular guy. Like I said, he was like, he's like a handsome enough guy and everything, but he just looked like, you know, he could be your neighbor and he's like just kind of stepping up based on circumstances. Not like he's always this guy, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that definitely watching it now, I think that's why his performance still like does it for me. Cause it doesn't feel like a, sh- like, it's not like Liam Neeson taken. You're just like, Oh, he's been training his whole life for this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, it's very human the way he reacted to a lot of things in that movie. And like, you know, in that leadership role he took on throughout that movie. Yeah. And I love how he gets genuinely frustrated. Like he's, he gets really pissed at Barbara for her (laughs) turning into like a blubbering mess. And, and it's like, he's not, he's not always keeping his cool. Like he's clearly very annoyed by the people he's dealing with too. Yeah. I will say upon rewatch, I mean, I don't want to harp on it too much. I definitely think a, a night of the living dead remake could be done with like in like a modern way just it's a simple enough plot but i actually think they could do something like very effective kind of like how the invisible man did like their updated version of it like i think it could be done and i think it could be done even better and it could be done for free because it's in the public domain right yeah uh mike what is your first choice of the day well i told you before we started recording that i had two people that i was uh, could flip-flop whether or not one was an honorable mention or, you know, one would be in my top three. And just because this is going to segue nicely off of what Brett said, I am uh, bumping off a person to go with my instincts. uh, And that is uh, Lupita Nyong'o in Us. Uh, There's so much there. Not only is it amazing that she is playing two completely realized characters, but she's also doing this essentially six years into her big screen career. Yeah. Uh, you know, she relatively new to movie acting and the confidence and just the way movies are shot that, you know, that there were so many days of filming that she had to play both characters on the same day just because hey we have you know this location lit so to be able to bounce back and forth between these characters and have them be different enough but the same enough that when the twist comes it makes you not go eh, not so much like it's just so believable and then also this year she was in little monsters which is another horror movie, horror comedy, playing a third completely different type of character. Like she has so much range for being such a newer, relatively speaking, actor that uh, I don't think people really talk about her nearly as much as they should. Uh, Just her voiceover in the Star Wars sequels as Maz Kanata like she's phenomenal and I think us really showcases just how amazing of a craftsperson she is yeah I that was one of the I think the the biggest thing that blew me away when I saw us for the first time and I think it's kind of cool that like 
in the Jordan Peele era and particularly with like a 24 doing horror movies and stuff. It's like for the first time ever, kind of, it's the thing where like you can get a great prestige, well-known actor to mm. do these types of movies. And it's not considered slumming it, you know, like dude, Lupita Nyong'o won an Oscar first movie, 12 years a slave. Like she won yeah. for that movie and, and, you know, still saw in us the potential to do a great performance. And she does. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's amazing. I think. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a cash grab or anything. It actually feels like no, I think she let's see what she could do, you know. Right. And she you're right, you kind of nailed it. She does have for somebody as inexperienced as her, uh some of her peers, yeah, her range is incredible. She could sell a lot with her face. Yeah. She does. Yeah, she just has these giant eyes that I, I love actors who are able to convey so much emotion with just their eyes like you could do a noir lighting of just being able to see her eyes and you would know absolutely everything you need to know about what's going on in her character's mind at any given time just uh, masterful mike yeah. is us your favorite of uh jordan peterson three horror-ish did you say Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson. Or did I just say Jordan? <laughs> he Peterson? did say Jordan Peterson. Uh, well, leave that in for like the uh, Jordan Peel. I am so sorry. I'm still drinking the, this the, lot the, trying to wake up. The real villain in us is the radical neo-Marxists. Uh, uh, that's it. Jordan. I, oh my God. I I kind I didn't of, realize how similar their names were until you put it. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, he suffers from the laws of diminishing returns for me, where I think get out is a masterpiece. I think us is not, at least for me as fully realized. And I almost feel like Nope is a simple enough story where he's is kind of like, well, I'll let people put their own meaning here and there. Like I, I, I just, um, I I hope the fourth thing that he does blows me away, but I, I honestly don't have super high hopes. And okay. that could just be because Get Out, I think, is one of the best movies ever made. So, okay, I um I kind of have the inverse opinion of you, Mike. Uh, oh, really? When it comes oh. to Jordan Peele, yeah. Like I think That's all three. So just... weird that someone I respect so much could be so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I I was just thinking the same thing. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think his um I, I I guess what I tend to say is I think Get Out is the most perfect script like as a script that is the most compact like seamless you know perfect thing uh, all of the themes are pitch perfect in that the setups the payoffs everything I think as a director he's gotten better with each movie I think he's made more effective like sequences you know I think like us I find even though it's a little flabbier as a script, I think it's a scarier movie. Um, and I, and uh, Nope, I think is kind of like, uh, I just love Nope. Like Nope is probably my favorite movie of his uh, three um, where it's just like, I think particularly the themes in that movie, they're the most sort of like ethereal and not quite locked down. But I, I don't necessarily think it's like a, here's the movie, project what you want on it. I do think that there's a lot there that he's intentionally saying. It's just not, it's just not that you can sum up the theme into one sentence, you know? Um, yeah. 
but uh that's a movie that grew on me with time too like the first time i saw it i was like i don't know how to feel with it about it and then like later on it kind of just started to click and fall into place more and i kind of realized more of what i loved about it i'll i'll compromise with you and say that as a writer maybe uh i'm experiencing less and less with him but as a director yeah i i think nope is a directorial uh just quite a feat so yeah i'll, I'll give you that there we I'll go give you inverse on directing um <laughs> but i'm sticking with my guns on writing look we had we had an open conversation of ideas and we 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 found a common ground jordan peterson would be so proud of us <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay all right last Last time I'll bring him up. All right. Um, so for my number three, I picked uh, probably something, you know, I, I think for there was for me, we talked a little bit off there about this push and pull between like, well, what's obvious, what's everyone going to pick and what's kind of exclusive to us. And I kind of thought of one that really blew me away when I first saw it. Um, that isn't really, you know, she's not a big name. It's not, you know. It's sort of a cult classic, the movie. But I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Alice, Sweet Alice. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, Paula E. Shepard. Paula E. Shepard, who plays the titular Alice in Alice, Sweet Alice. It's it's an incredible movie, uh, Mike. It's, uh, it's sort of, um, it takes a lot of visual cues from Don't Look Now, the Nicholas Rogue film. Uh, but it's also kind of feels like an American giallo a little bit. Um and uh, it's essentially about this family. They've got two young girls. One of them is played by a really young Brooke Shields. Um, oh. And then Brooke Shields' character uh, gets murdered. And they start to suspect as the movie goes on that the killer might have been their daughter, Alice, um, who's sort of a complicated, very mischievous character. And um, her performance – and actually, here's the funny thing. I was – amazed to find this out and I, i'm surprised this is true she's playing like a 14 year old in the movie i guess the actress was 18 um so it's technically not a child performance but i uh, she really sells being sort of a clever witty kind of evil kid but not evil in like a corny way not evil like damien from the omen evil just like kind of evil the way that a kid can be <laughs> kind of evil, you know? Um, and uh, she has uh, a lot of great scenes, particularly like there's this character, um, a neighbor they have who's kind of highly implied to be a pedophile. Um, and then she has scenes where she's just like kind of tormenting him and the way she just kind of owns these scenes and, um, you know kind of like she has the confidence and the charisma of like a movie star and she's i think it was her first movie or one of her first movies and she didn't really do a lot but she's yeah she she's only has really two incredible. roles wow yeah yeah um but i if you watch it i think that'll be the first thing that'll blow you away watching that movie oh i i have to watch this i i watch part of liquid sky which is the other movie that she did and uh yeah this sounds really interesting and right up my alley so see that's why i like doing the show with you both because i knew <laughs> i'm going to find something that's going to go on my letterbox watch list watch list Good. uh just by talking to you guys so wow yeah that this looks great right you've seen the movie right i have sorry i'm like holding in my seasonal allergies 
Uh, yeah, I'm actually shocked Mike has not seen this. Uh, Why? Yeah, because I'm I, old. This came out when I was four. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, this came out when I was uh, negative. negative seventeen. So. Yeah, did your Did your parents even know each other when this came out? Probably it, yeah, not. I don't even think my parents have seen Alice, Sweet Alice. If I'm being real honest. But yeah, just through, you know, watching horror docs or just, you know, scouring the internet for just new horror movies. Yeah, I've seen it. And uh, like Johnny said, it like it's a very good kind of under the radar for at least a lot of people today, uh, horror movie. And also, you know, that girl, like you said, who has only done so much, you know, really does kind of shine in this movie. Um, I don't know where it's streaming, though. That's where I'm. Uh, I was trying to look it up for you, Mike, but. Yeah, I don't know where it's streaming either. I had the uh, the Arrow Blu-ray sitting on my shelf for a few years because I got it during a sale and then uh, just kind of came into it uh, like last Halloween. Oh, it was actually last Halloween. Quentin Tarantino talked about it on the Video Archives podcast, and that was what made me decide to finally watch it. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's great. Um, I like it every time Brett goes to... Uh, stifle one of his sneezes or hides them from his microphone because he looks like uh, the dentist in uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, no, really, I, I'm Bella Lugosi. I'm, it's natural for me to have my elbow up this high blocking my face. Really, guys, we've got Brett Hayden for the podcast for the <laughs> yes. entire thing. Yes, It's, it's uh, not just a little bit of footage of him at the beginning and the rest of it's a stand-in. Uh, according oh. to IMDb, it's on uh, Tubi, which is free, Mike. So okay, cool. yeah, that. I don't know if it still is because, you know, IMDb has lied to me before. So, Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it also says that on the Google. So that's okay. one place to look. Thank God for AI being able to do Brett's voice. And we actually have Louis <laughs> Michael doing the. Uh... <laughs> Ooh, Mike, have you seen Alice, sweet Alice? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um all right uh brett louis uh whoever you are um <laughs> what is your number two choice today uh my number two choice i kind of wanted to do an old one uh an older movie a modern movie and then maybe one that maybe less people have seen so i'll do the modern one uh kind of an obvious one but tony collette in uh hereditary oh i'm so glad you said her she was one of my honorable mentions well, the other reason I bring her up is because, you know, when the movie came out, it wasn't one of those like under the radar things. A lot of people think she should have got an Oscar nom for her performance. She's incredible in that movie. Yeah. yeah. Like in that movie, in that movie, when it came out, you know, people, this is like, you know, before uh, Ari Esther really became like the what the fuck am I watching sort of guy <laughs> that he is yeah. now with everything he puts out. But, you know, I think Tony Collette is a big part of why that movie you know, is actually scary. And uh, yeah, and like Tony Collette herself is already a great actor, but, you know, to see her like just shine in this horror movie and this weird ass horror movie that may a lesser actor probably could like ruin and it would just be kind of seen as like shock value, this movie. Yeah. Like she really grounds, you know, her performance and, and the way she reacts to everything that is happening, like that's like realistic enough. Like it actually she makes it seem believable. Like that's how somebody would react to a lot of these situations. So that's, that's my pick. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's another sort of example of the uh, uh, similar Lupita Nyong'o, like the way that horror 
has been able to get some more prestige lead actors, you know, in recent years. And Tony Collette was already like a really established sort of like character actor and, you know, sort of an indie darling, you know, and then in that movie, she's just uh, like the, the, the way she portrays just the guttural, like, you know, like grief and the rage, like uh, losing and, and what what the tragedy that happens in the beginning of the movie yeah. um <laughs> that's all I'll say uh and uh yeah no she's great the, actually gracie um what's funny is like everybody has you know a movie quote that they do or a monologue they do gracie will like do verbatim the monologue tony collette has where she does that like whole like put that fucking face on your face and the i'm your mother like that monologue <laughs> uh because it's incredible she makes it iconic you know i hope that my uh correct microphone is still plugged in i just uh kicked my laptop a little bit <laughs> um is. but um what i really like about her being in that role is if it were someone else the finale you would have these great set pieces and memorable scenes but because it's tony collette doing two of the um the the bigger moments that are really talked about in this moment in the finale, it just makes those moments hit even harder because it's Tony Collette and she's bringing her star power to that role where yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, it's a, a, a great movie just made even greater having someone like Tony Collette bringing all of her Tony Collette energy and star power to it like it, it's wow it it yeah she's uh she's something else <laughs> i also, yeah i do think I, i'm glad you brought that up because i was sitting there thinking about it i do think you know seeing someone like her in a horror movie definitely adds like prestige in a way that maybe other actors like of her caliber go oh maybe i should there is like great stories to tell in horror maybe you know this will be like something that really sparks the genre because now you're going to start seeing you know more of these types of actors doing these roles because they're like oh no 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 it's not you know you know torture porn or shock value or what maybe what they stereotype horror movies to be like what they were to some critics in the 80s and 90s but i definitely think you know it's it does add or lend credibility to the genre and I think she's a big part of that, at least in like the modern era of uh, horror movies. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and uh, a similar energy uh, to, you know, I, I'll wait to mention this person in case they're on one of your lists, but uh, I'll, I'll bring her up in my honorable mentions if, if none of you do. But uh, Mike, what is your number two out of your top three? I'm uh, I'm going to keep it close to home and go with a, a Michigan darling. And I feel like you Madonna. Yes. Madonna <laughs> in Desperately Seeking Susan. I think a lot of people think that that movie's a romantic comedy, but really it's a psychological <laughs> horror film. When you when you really break down um, now, it's uh, Bruce Campbell, of course, in the mm. Evil Dead series. Uh he is 100% committed to the character of Ash. I think it's a weird balancing act that it almost seems like the movies shouldn't work because it's like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have made one kind of movie, but it almost seems like everyone else in the movies <laughs> 
are in completely different movies, but somehow like Bruce Campbell's able to be the human avatar for Sam Raimi's sensibilities that it just, it works. And there's like this, um, this one degree, like fine tuning that he does where he could almost have like Han Solo swagger, but he yeah. just turns it just slightly a bit where it's buffoonish, but mm. it's like, why it, it's like, it's so subtle what he does to make that character not cool. And <laughs> I, I think it, it's, um, you know, he's definitely a broad actor, but I, I think that little, calculation that he does there shows you that while it is a broad character it, it there is a lot of like detail and you know that people maybe overlook in Bruce Campbell where it's like oh yeah no he's a great comedic actor it's like yeah but man he he's doing some real detail work that uh, I, I think people really overlook yeah, I, I I had him on my honorable mentions uh, too. And like he's think about Bruce Campbell is like I think the thing that kind of keeps him from being like a Harrison Ford movie star. The part of the reason he never quite got there is like I always say like Bruce Campbell's almost too handsome. Like he's like comically yeah. handsome. Like he's yep. like if you like Johnny Bravo. Like if you draw a cartoon handsome guy, you draw Bruce Campbell with the chin and everything and the really like, white. Too chiseled, just a little, yeah. Right to the point that he can only pay, play a parody of a hero. He can't play like a yeah, real hero. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, the, the Johnny Bravo reference is perfect. It's like he is the um the cartoon character come to life of like if you were to draw the chiseled action hero. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. What a it, curse. It, being too good looking. <laughs> I call it the Brett Hayden curse. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, he also, like, I think part of what makes those movies work so well is the relationship between him and Sam Raimi, where, you know, their whole thing comes from Sam Raimi just wanting to bully Bruce Campbell, like, just wanting to yeah. completely embarrass him and do whatever he could on camera. And, uh, like, he really pushes him to his limits and Bruce Campbell as a physical performer is incredible. You know, he's like a, it's a horror comedy franchise and he's basically, he's uh, the three stooges or Buster Keaton or like, you know, Charlie Chaplin, like what he does with his body is incredible. Uh, whenever his hand is possessed or in like army of darkness where there's like the two ashes, like one ash growing out of the other one, the stuff right. that they do together. It's just, yeah, it's, it's next level. Yeah. It's like the shorthand that they have from being childhood friends where yeah. they can just, you know, communicate on a level that, you know, people that just have a professional relationship might not be able to have. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, my uh, high school theater teacher's husband at the time was in the Sam Raimi movie, Thou Shall Not Kill, except oh, yeah. that came out while I was in high school. And Sam Raimi came in and talked to our theater class. And uh, it's, yeah, just, you know, and this is before Army of Darkness and everything. And, uh, you know, he, he's just a, a nerdy, passionate guy who uh, 
like to make movies with his nerdy, passionate friends. And uh, I, I think you can only torture your friends like that if you love them <laughs> as much as you do. I, I know with like the live truth shows, there were moments where me, Tim and Alex would go out of our ways to just really psychologically mess with each other <laughs> and uh and we would go along with it because uh you know it's something that was done out of love so yeah it, that's such a great team the two of them and i'm glad that sam raimi still will put bruce campbell in little cameos yeah. just to make the nerds like us happy He's in Doctor Strange. It was, uh, I remember going to see the new Doctor Strange movie that Sam Raimi did. And uh, when Bruce Campbell showed up, the audience erupted into applause. It was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there were cool people in that crowd that knew who he was. Yeah. yeah. Um. So for my number two, um, I knew for, you know, I, I was thinking about like the iconic villains in horror films and urban there's sort of a thing like there's a type of actor that is like a sort of classically trained actor who ends up doing horror movies and becoming best known for that even though it might be kind of below what they're quote unquote below what that what they wanted to do you know like it could have been like a christopher lee or a peter cushing or a donald pleasance or um even nowadays like uh, I've got Robert England behind me. He's an example, or like um, uh, Tobin Bell in the Saw movies. Uh, and my favorite, I think, performance by an actor playing sort of like a villain throughout a franchise is uh, Tony Todd as Candyman, um, uh, who also there's a connection. He did play Dwayne Jones' role in the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, as well so he's he's got a lot of horror movies under his belt but and the final destination movies too and stuff but Candyman, it's like you watch that first Candyman, and they treat him like he's the shark from jaws like it's about half of the movie before you ever see him and there's been so much build-up and everything about his presence warrants that build-up like he has this incredible voice that's so like layered and like it's like a sexy voice but also like threatening there's this like asmr like kind of crackling and smacking of like his lips while he's talking and you know his look and the role is just like he's this like beautiful like you know kind of like sculpted face that like that's almost like uncanny it's so he's so like like um it, it's just like this like flawless face uh, and he's just like tall and imposing. Um, but then like the way that, you know, in that first film, he and um, uh, Virginia Madsen, he's tormenting her, but they have like a weird sexual energy, the two of them. And he just sells it all so well. And with very little screen time, like you could put together, you know, he's in all four Candyman films. You could put them all together. He probably has like 10 minutes of screen time, maybe across all of them, but just makes the most of it when he's on screen. Yeah, yeah he I, is. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, for that first one, I didn't realize that he was in it as shortly as he was. It's a movie that uh, my wife really liked growing up, and I, I hadn't seen it until she and I watched it for our podcast that we were doing. And uh, yeah, he makes such a, a strong impact 
where it, it's sort of like the um, Anthony Hopkins thing in Silence of the Lambs, where you're like, oh, he's only in it that much. You yeah. know, it's the same thing with Tony Todd. There's a podcast interview with him. I was trying to figure out where it was, but he talks about his training as an actor where he didn't have money for theater school, but the school, um, I don't know if it was like Juilliard or what was like, yeah, but you're really good. So uh, don't tell anyone else. We're going to let you go for free. <laughs> um, just because he brought this caliber of uh, acting and, and he just seems like a really cool, gracious guy too. So what a great pick. Yeah. He, uh, it's weird. Cause yeah, he doesn't have a lot of screen time and he is terrifying. Cause he's like this big kind of, I can't even say creepy dude, but like you said, he's like, he is a, like a conventionally like good looking guy too. He's like, he's terrifying, but you're drawn to him. So I'm glad you brought up that weird, like sexual sort of thing. Cause as you're watching him, you're kind of like, this guy's scaring me, but I, I, I kind of want to know more. I want, there's a <laughs> lot going on. And then also finding out, you know, years later, he actually like put the beads in his mouth and you're like, wow, yeah. this guy is really, you know, committed to his craft. And uh, you, you know, for his limited screen time, you know, think of all the like the movies and TV shows with, you know, say his name three times in the mirror, sort of Candyman references, whatever their version of that may be. So, you know, maybe that's all he needed to, or all the time he needed on screen to make the impact that he did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's the, a great the, pick. the B thing is one of those insane, like, no, they would not make it. Like, nowadays, they'd just be CGI bees, right? But, like, yeah. in that movie, it had to be, like, no, you have to put bees in your mouth. And he was stung, like, multiple times filming that movie. That commitment is incredible. I wonder I wonder if the bee stings are why his voice is so deep. <laughs> yeah. But, no, it is. It's funny, because that's one of those things you could tell a kid now. It's like, no, he actually put the bees in his mouth. They'd still be like, uh, eh, no, it's fake. No, no <laughs> right. good. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah. Old movies are fake. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Brett, I think that brings us to your number one. Here you go. Uh, so this one, I kind of wanted to like veer off and do one that I just don't think really gets it to do. It's kind of a, it's a movie made in the last 20 years. I actually just showed it to my girlfriend. She had never seen it before. And it's a horror movie, but it plays out like a courtroom drama. Uh, and the performance is Jennifer Carpenter in The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm. Uh, yes. I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie. I rewatched it and I enjoyed it just as much. It's weird if you look it up on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, still very mixed reviews. You know, I believe it's still in the 40s or 50s still on Rotten Tomatoes. But man, Jennifer Carpenter, and this is her coming like right off of uh, White Chicks, you know, the most, you know, <laughs> the most opposite of movies. Oh my God, I didn't know she was in that. That's hilarious. Oh yeah, and she's hilarious in it. But wow. yeah, for her to switch to this like innocent girl being possessed and i mean she is a very she's like a pretty girl she has a very sympathetic face and just some of the things she does with her facial expressions and just like the little nuances of her reactions to just going through this sort of just trauma and just like possession you, you can't help but like feel sorry for this girl and as the movie goes on they set her up you know her setup isn't as like i guess like maybe not like the exorcist where they set her up to be like the cutest girl ever. And like, how can something so horrible like happen to her? But, you know, as the movie goes on and just like, you see all the people like, you know, in her life and you kind of start 
feeling for her and then start feeling for like she does so good it makes all of uh like the priest character it makes him more sympathetic it makes all the people trying to defend him in court seem more sane because the way they talk about her and the way like she sold what's happening to her and i don't really see a lot of people talking about her or not just her but that movie in general these days so that was a movie that I mean, there were a lot of reasons to fall off the Dexter train, but seeing <laughs> her in that made me realize how not well made the television show Dexter was because she is so great in Emily Rose and she's just not used very well on that show at all. Uh, because, yeah, I, I think she is an actor who does not get a lot of opportunities to really show just how absolutely wonderful she is and the work that she's capable of doing. But yeah, that is, uh, that's a phenomenal movie. That's a phenomenal pick. Yeah. I, uh, I watched an interview with her recently before we were, uh, recording, uh, and apparently they had a dummy that was going to do a lot of like the stuff with the, uh, the possessions and like the contorting sort of, and she just told the director, she's like, I, I can do that. And then a lot of that stuff, you know, made it into the movie. So that's, you know, kind of a crazy thing to think about now that that movie could have been worse just using, you know, practical effects. But she just kind of decided, um, no, like, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah. What yeah. She's... The, um, she's in that uh, the remake of is it the remake of Wreck or Oh, oh yeah, quarantine. quarantine. Yeah, 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 and yeah, she's great in that too. Like, it, I hope she does more horror because uh, I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff at all. Like in the last she, decade, she's great in the uh, S. S. Craig Zoller films. She's in uh, Brawl and Cell Block '99 and Dragged Across Concrete, and I think that's when I first because I had seen Dexter also and I'd seen White Chicks, but I think that was the first time I really noticed her as an actress and like how great she is. And uh, even like Brawls or uh, Drag Across Concrete, she's in like one or two scenes and the movie kind of stops and it's about her for like 10 minutes and she's incredible. Like she wins you over so fast and like just does like, you know, pathos, like sympathy really well makes you feel sorry for her and um uh i actually haven't i a terrible host of this podcast i haven't seen exorcism of emily rose yet but what? i've known i've known of it what? for a long time i will see it. on I'll, peacock I'll, it's streaming on peacock if you on peacock, it. i will watch it this month for the first time okay because uh, wow. i've always I, wanted to wow All right, I, you gotta watch exorcism of emily rose mike has to watch alice sweet alice perfect i i'm surprised that uh because it is uh kind of a, a critically acclaimed horror movie too i'm i'm really surprised yeah. you haven't seen it it really it actually i mean maybe amongst like horror fans but I, I i had it up a second ago i think it's still like only like 40 something on rotten tomatoes which shocked mm. me which i, I know I, you shouldn't judge like off like you know critics opinion of horror sometimes but i i'm surprised because i think objectively it's a way better movie than some critics gave it credit for yeah absolutely yeah. you know I, I remember for the longest time i got it confused with the haunting of deborah logan <laughs> and, which is another and, uh, really good movie too which yeah. is, a, is a good movie yeah. yeah and then also it's like i think it's the taking of deborah logan 
Oh yeah, the taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah, yeah. yeah See, so, the, there's fucking, so many movies with like a insert the blank of blank, of, <laughs> the blank of well, white woman. Yeah, <laughs> not, not even just that. The exorcism of blank is so many movies. Like yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate that this movie probably gets glommed together with so many other movies that have exorcism in the title, and they're just like garbage, like directed to be, you know, like types of movies and. uh you know, there's diamonds in the rough, and it's like this is one movie that I think before it became a huge thing to name your movie that um, that this was actually like a good one and made by a good director, Scott Derrickson. I like his. I just other was gonna films. say, yeah, yeah, he made Sinister, The Black Phone. I didn't realize he, yeah. uh, he made Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, but he, uh, yeah, I was, I looked up because I was like, it's a really good movie. Who made it? And then I was like, oh shit, I really liked The Black Phone and Sinister. So yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, forty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, that's that wouldn't be the first time they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, what's your number one? I, uh, you know, we talked beforehand, and Brett was saying that he was kind of steering away from non traditional horror movies, and I, I guess you could argue whether or not this is a traditional horror movie. Uh, I would think. The lay person probably would consider it a horror movie, but we would probably argue that um, The Shining, Shelley Duvall. Um, oh, yeah. Regardless of how she got to where she needed to be emotionally uh, to play Wendy, uh, it is still just a 100% convincing uh job that she does acting i what i also like in trying to learn more about this performance is she plays the motherly parts really well and shelly duvall never had kids like i mm. assumed because she did her uh her nursery uh fairy tale show that yeah. uh she was a mom but no she she never had kids and uh uh and i i know stephen king really doesn't like her portrayal because uh the wendy torrance character is supposed to be the stand-in for tabitha king and she's supposed to be like a blonde bombshell in the, yeah in the book. yeah but yeah. uh and i get it that stephen king's like no my wife was so much stronger than uh this character and but i think realistically um you know um I don't want to get too confessional or anything, but um, I think when you are in a relationship with a physically and mentally abusive alcoholic, it is less realistic to expect that person who's in the relationship with that person to be a blonde bombshell who has it together in private and mm -hmm. I think she does a much better job and Kubrick does a much better job of showing what a relationship like Jack and Wendy really would have been like. And uh, I, you know, she always seems like she is walking on eggshells, even in the moments where she's trying to be pleasant and. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a it's a role that really touches me uh, personally on a lot of different layers and levels. And uh, 
I, it really bums me out that, um, you know, her life has gone the way it is. And uh, I feel like this is kind of like the start of people kind of beating up on her uh, and for the abuse that she took and making it, I, I have to applaud her performance. Uh, I I think she's absolutely fantastic. There is like, people have talked about this a lot lately where Shelly Duvall, she actually did an interview not that long ago where she kind of, she talked about the experience in the shining and was like, like, obviously she struggled with her mental health a lot, but like, it is sort of like a, it's one of those kind of urban myths, sort of like Heath Ledger, how people would say Heath Ledger died from being the Joker, uh, where it's one of those kind of urban legends where th- there isn't really a connection between like, like, yeah, she was treated rough on The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. But in retrospect, it is something that she's talked highly of and she's talked highly of Kubrick and that movie and the experience making it. And so it's like. I think oftentimes we look for answers, we look for connections and yeah. it is so widely publicized how, you know, what the experience of the shining was. And then we know that she struggled with her mental health. And so based on those two facts that the public knows about her, we go like, Oh, well, a and B. Right. Um, but, but it's not, quite, I, I, I don't think it's quite that, you know, quite that connection. I'm not trying to, uh, uh, rationalize what Kubrick did on the set of that movie. That yeah. stuff you could could not get away with today, and and for good reason, you know. But uh, I, you're right. I think she's my favorite performance in that movie because, like, obviously, like Nicholson's iconic uh, and he's great. But like, that doesn't work if you don't have the dread and the pure, like, like terror that she shows. Uh, and also, yeah, when she's being sweet and walking on eggshells, like the moments where he's writing and she's like, like, oh, well, maybe you'll let me read something later. And she's, it's this very, like, you're kind of like walking by a sleeping giant, you know, like trying to like, like, how do I be nice? And, and I think it works for Kubrick's vision of those characters because in Stephen King's novel and also the Stephen Weber, uh, series, he writes it more like he thinks Jack Torrance is a good man who gets um you know who gets corrupted by his demons whereas kubrick writes him and nicholson plays him like he is kind of an inherently evil man that's finally letting his evil side out you know and so as a result it makes much more sense in this case for her to be somebody who's probably been dealing with erratic behavior and uh, abusive behavior for so long and it's just kind of beating her down and she looks so tired but she's also yeah just such a source of innocence and good in the movie and um yeah like uh it, it, obviously like you know the scenes when she's like swinging the bat and it's just like she's just like crying and can't even make it through her words and the iconic like here's johnny moment everybody when they think of that scene they also think about her screaming every time the axe comes through the wall and her like holding the knife, but like, you know, not really being able to compose herself. It's yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And then like, you know, her reading through what he's been writing and just, you can see just like, you know, her face just come more, it becomes like more, you know, apparent, like, like her suspicions that something's off about him. Just, you know, it all just comes out in her face and she does it very, you know, beautifully. And, you know, 
just and also it, she's very sympathetic in the way like she knows he's like he's sick and but she still loves him and it's like she doesn't know what to do yeah yeah um, yeah yeah um so for my number one I went with an actor who has a couple iconic horror performances and I maybe chose the one not the most expected out of him, but somebody who I think makes the movie he's in. And that is uh, Brad Dorif in Exorcist 3, um, which is a uh, incredible movie, a movie it took a while for people to come around on, I think, because it um it's called exorcist 3 and exorcist 2 is kind of famously terrible and you know it's and and the first exorcist is just an untouchable masterpiece and so it's like inherently it seems like inherently uh you know um uh blasphemous to even make this movie but it's written and directed by william peter blatty author of the original exorcist novel screenwriter on the first movie um and so much of it has to do with this serial killer plot where um, Brad Dorif is playing a serial killer known as the Gemini Killer who is possessing the body of Father Karras, uh, Jason Miller from the first movie. And there's these scenes between him and George C. Scott where he's played by Jason Miller, but then when the uh, Gemini Killer really starts coming out, we switch actors and it turns to Brad Dorif. And he is just like like pure horror as a performance just like the screaming that he does the calm moments there's like these really chilling moments where he's very quietly describing like like oh did you know a a man can see like up to 30 seconds after he's been decapitated and and describing what he does to his victims um and then like the the pure rage he's just that comes out when he's like saying like you know he's inside with us he'll never get away and it's one of those movies too where the director knows what he has he knows how great this performance is so you know he's got george c scott in the scene but he lets the camera linger on brad dorf when he's delivering these monologues and it's like the inverse of silence of the lambs where silence of the lambs works because Anthony Hopkins is so classy and restrained and uh, charming kind of in a weird way. Uh, And then in this, it's just like pure ravenous, you know, animalistic impulse. And, um, you know, in a just world, this would be an Oscar worthy performance, but it's a horror movie and it's a horror sequel, especially. Uh, But obviously everybody knows him as Chucky, you know, he's iconic, but like did as a physical performance uh, and a vocal performance, with what how little he's given which is just you're gonna sit in this padded room in a straitjacket delivering lines it's like he just steals the entire film i think so have you guys seen exorcist 3 yes yeah probably the i don't know about the best but one of the best jump scares in a horror movie ever yeah i think i brought it up as about a a horror sequel in one of our previous episodes Um, yeah it is very underrated i think I Brad Dorf is an actor who I have, uh, you know, going back to Jack Nicholson uh, in One Flew Over Cuckoo's the Nest. Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Just to be able to hold his own like I, I think Shelley Duvall does in The Shining with, you know, someone who just chews every scene like Nicholson. And I always loved and admired the fact that after Cuckoo's Nest, you know, like people magazine was like well let's make brad dourif like you know this 
you know, movie star or whatever. And he was like, yeah, well, then I'm not going to make movies for a long time. I'm going to go to New York and do theater so I can just be an actor like the integrity that Brad Dorif has, I, I think, is so commendable. Like he's he's definitely one of my favorite actors. Uh, I don't even want to say character actors because you know he's he can do anything i yeah i I think he's fantastic that's such a great pick if the day ever comes where you do that character actors podcast that would be an amazing person to talk to if you ever got him because like his you know his his filmography is so illustrious and he's one of those guys where even if he's in like a ho-hum movie he brings so much to it like he never phones it in um, you know, like you like Rob Zombie's Halloween movies, Brad Dorf shows up and he's fucking incredible, like with how little he's given, you know, and uh, yeah. just yeah, one of those guys like makes every movie better. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so real quick before we get to our our pitches, the actors who we think should do or I uh, do, what were any stragglers, any honorable mentions that maybe we didn't get to throw out there that were our backups? And- um, I'm right. like, save me here while I find my list. Uh, okay. Um, the one who I knocked off the list, but I'm glad that you guys ended up talking about uh, Tony Collette and Hereditary is Alex Wolf and Hereditary. And mm. to go from being this Nickelodeon kid star to, you know, doing, you know, what I said with like Lupita Nyong'o, what I'll call the morning after scene in Hereditary, where without having any discernible facial expressions you can see how alex wolf is just a broken human being the morning after in hereditary and i i think it's one of those performances that you know maybe it comes from like getting to work with someone as great as tony collette uh it is just a phenomenal performance i also wanted to throw out uh heather donahue from the Blair Witch Project, yep. I wrote this... all three actors from Blair Witch in my <laughs> in my honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about how weird it must have been to make that movie at the time, and the mechanics of it, where it's like, well, you know what, you're um, you're actually going to just be acting for a camcorder, so you're going to be your own camera person too, and yeah. you're going to have to trust us that we're going to put sound effects in post to make this good. And uh, you know, it's a she has some regrets about making the movie. Uh, she's changed her name legally because she kind of wishes that she hadn't used her real name uh, for the character in Blair Witch Project. Uh, and it's a shame that she doesn't act anymore because I, I think, you know, runny yeah. nose performance. She's phenomenal. Yeah. And then last one is Lulu Wilson, who as a child star, I think was the best part in some mediocre movies like Ouija and uh, Annabelle Mm. creation. And it's not surprising me at all that she is growing up to be a very capable young adult star. Uh, Because like even as a kid, I'm like, holy shit, a lot of these movies are weighing on the shoulders of this child. And, uh, you know, yeah. Wow. You know, did you ever see Becky? Uh, Becky and Wrath of Becky are what I'm thinking about with her being a very uh, capable uh, oh, yeah. young adult and Wrath of Becky she's like 18 or 19 now so I guess she's now in an adult you know 
well, I don't want to say an adult actor because that sounds completely wrong, <laughs> but uh, she's an adult now who acts. And I'm so happy that, uh, you know, it, she seems to be a person who's like, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to keep pursuing this as opposed to, you know, some child actors who are great and say, all right, well, I'm going to go get an education now because that was fun. You know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm excited to see what she keeps doing because uh, she's daring and uh she just seems to have a lot of natural ability and uh yeah so those were my honorable mentions yeah good choices brett what do you got uh i only had two uh they were amongst the uh list that i had previously mm-hmm. made uh sissy space that can carry and mm-hmm. then i had uh a- um excuse me angela bettis in uh, may yeah i wrote yeah, down angela those- bettis in may too <laughs> yeah those were the two i mean there's not much I could say other than just, you know, great performances that I was kind of worried that maybe would get talked about. So I kind of just like avoided them for that reason. I was right about one of them. So, yeah, uh, I, I, uh, so not throwing out what you guys did mention. I, I did, I did mention Blair Witch. I just said all three of the leads in that movie, but yeah, Heather Donahue's easily the standout and, uh, um, the, the, just the like realistic, like, where's the fucking map and like every time she's yelling josh like you buy it you know it's so movies like that i mean the reason blair witch is one of the greatest probably the best found footage horror film is like it it genuinely feels real you know if your performances aren't real then the whole conceit falls apart you know um kind of out of the box uh choice uh i i think you can pick either actor for this but Max Shrek in the original Nosferatu, um, just one of the greatest uh, physical performances of all time. I mean, obviously it's a silent film, um, but uh, and then also what Werner Herzog uh, in the Werner Herzog film with Klaus Kinski as Nosferatu, um, the way he like darts his eyes around and you know it's like he's sort of giving a silent film performance and a non-silent film in that, and uh, you know both of those just iconic. I'm so um, happy you said Max Shrek because I, I, you know, I've said it before. I'm always uh, overwhelmed doing these episodes with you guys because you are both so well versed in film and film history. So, <laughs> in my uh, in telling Allison about how, uh, like, I bounced my choices off of her, and I was like, I just know that Johnny's going to say something like. I think it would be criminal to overlook the silent uh, performance of Max Shrek <laughs> in the original Nosferatu. And you actually did exactly. I did exactly. I, <laughs> I well, feel like I, I really know you. Like, I want you to feel seen because. I do. Yes. I do. I, I feel so close to you right now that I was like. <laughs> I can do a Johnny Mockney imitation. Yeah, you can predict me. Uh, it is funny <laughs> is that the youngest person in this conversation is the one talking about the silent film era. <laughs> I was not alive during the silent film right. era. You <laughs> piece of shit, Brett Hayden. Listen, yeah. you're handsome. You can get away with this, but you hurt me. You hurt my soul. I'm not that old. I said the youngest person was the one who brought up the silence. See, it's silence. it's because it's because I'm the youngest person. It's that post irony. Uh, let's go all the way back, you know, uh, <laughs> type of thing. And and I do yes. 
I should show you guys. I do have Nosferatu on my body, so I would have been. Oh wow! Uh, I would have been. Uh, this is making what to... I said even funnier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I you also. Have with the tattoo. I should have started so with I the tattoo. I would have given it to uh, Nosferatu. Now, <laughs> seeing, as you can see here, uh, I'm more well versed than both of you. Uh, and and if it... he was Louis Michael, he would be flexing the bicep while showing it too. Like, <laughs> Ooh, have you guys seen Nosferatu? Uh, I, I, uh, Jewish people in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, I, I do, I, when I do buy tickets to the Robert Eggers remake, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna point to it and not say a word. Um, I, uh, last couple, uh, Ellen Burstyn and the original Exorcist, uh, yeah. sort of the, the precursor to some of what Tony Collette does in Hereditary, not quite, but, uh, and uh, did recently, she recently reprised that role for the first time, uh, an exorcist believer, which I'm seeing later today. Uh, but, I was going to uh, ask you if you guys have seen that yet. We were going I to haven't. see it yesterday, but uh, I am a little bit under. Well, all the Bobbit males in the household are under the weather right now. Ooh. So Alice and I were not able to get out for a date matinee yesterday, unfortunately. So um but yeah. we rewatched the original exorcist in preparation for it so oh it's great the original oh, yeah. exorcist is a masterpiece and alan it's so much of it is like alan burston just sells the just the real life like what would a mother be going through if you don't know what's happening to your kid you know yeah um and 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 it, the way it finally like explodes when she meets father Karras and she's just looking terrible and she's got her sunglasses on and she has a like you you tell me an exorcism won't do her any good um just yeah fantastic um and then uh the last one i wrote down that nobody mentioned uh all of the dogs in the thing <laughs> just <laughs> the greatest dog performances of all time the 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 moment when when the dog is walking down the hallway and like he hits all his marks he stops he keeps going he looks into the room and then he walks in it's like that that blows me away more than anything in like Avatar. Like any special effect, any visual effect will not match what that dog does <laughs> on screen in that movie. I feel like if you saw like the making of that scene, you would just be so distracted by all the dog trainers off camera. Yeah. Help yeah. Doing the actual work to make the dog look like a good actor. <laughs> right yeah i'm not giving any credit to the dog trainers i'm like oh they're just great dogs great dog actors yeah. um we'll, we'll make an oscar category for best animal actors hopefully one day um anyway uh, our final round here is we're pitching um brett we'll start with you who is an actor who has not done horror at least isn't known for doing horror and you think should uh jake gyllenhaal Nice. He's one of my favorite modern actors, but I was sitting around thinking about it. It's like he's one of those every person has like that those one or two actors, they'll see him in anything. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal for me, it's just like, all right, prisoners, yeah, I'll go see that. Uh enemy, yeah, I'll go see that. Prince of Persia, yeah, yeah, I'll go see that. Sure. <laughs> but I realized I was like, he's done a lot of thrillers and he plays like these really crazy, like taxi driver sort of characters at times. Yeah. Nightcrawler is like, a taxi driver. Yeah. 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 And I sit there and I'm like, is he too big of a star where it might take away from the movie? And I'm like, no, he, he really commits to these characters. And I think he, especially like, and I also had this hilarious thought of him playing, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but uh reanimator. Uh, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, like him in like a silly sort of like, you know, creepy role. Like maybe yeah. it's like a, maybe it is like an evil dead sort of thing. Cause I've seen Jake Gyllenhaal in interviews. He's like a very funny, like zany kind of guy at times. And I think he could be, you know, he could do the serious role, but he could also do like a Jeff Goldblum in the fly sort of, you know, weirdo. Yeah, yeah. He, I think he's good at doing silly. Is it a, uh, is it Okja that he's in? Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, he, he kind of uh, Tilda Swinton's it up by diving yeah. deep into a uh, quirky character. And then um, I'm trying to, uh, I want to say he's, I keep wanting to say Velvet Chainsaw, but I, I that, Velvet, that Velvet Chainsaw is almost a horror movie. It's like, yeah. it's like I, I call it pretentious Final Destination. Yeah, like <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, he he is really good at playing quirky yeah. and weird. So yeah, yeah. And, and Donnie Darko's almost a horror movie as well, and 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 like the parts in that that are really unsettling. Like he, like just the first scene when he walks down the street and he sees Frank for the first time. Like I, I think he does a lot with his face that really. He could really do well in a horror movie, I think. The other thing I thought of, too, was uh, he's so good at playing like a detective. You know, like between Prisoner, Zodiac. Um, yeah. Um, but he uh, he would be great in almost like a Saw franchise sort of movie where maybe he's not anything associated with like the horror itself playing like, you know, the villain character. But maybe mm-hmm. like a detective in one of those movies. Yeah. You know, and then he just happens to be like in the movie, but he's not one of the main sources of the horror. He's just like, you know, trying to stop it. Yeah, that's a great I mean, that's such an essential part to those movies, too. And that's like why you get somebody who's just a great actor in a typical like a non-horror movie for those types of roles, like similar to like Donald Pleasance in the first Halloween, you know, just like a just a great actor that they were like, we need somebody who can be sort of the harbinger of death and the person trying to find Michael Myers. And it doesn't need to be a horror actor per se. You know, it's just somebody who can sell that type of role really well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah great choice. Mike, who's your pitch? Uh, my pitch is someone who I think can do absolutely anything. The closest they have come to horror is lovely bones and that's Saoirse Ronan I think oh, I, I thought uh, you were gonna say Mark Wahlberg <laughs> <laughs> that is yes uh he would yeah. star in a Jordan Peterson horror film <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> I I think uh you know man that movie Brooklyn that she's in where she just yeah. you know Brooklyn with like Lady Bird back to back and to see her range as a performer. And, you know, she's one of those people who can say so much while delivering what looks like so little. And uh, I, I would really love to see her in like a really smart, like Babadook type, um, you know, something where it, it really rests on the shoulders of your lead performer. I, I think she could do it. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, it, it, she's one of my absolute uh, favorite actors working today. Yeah. He, yeah. She, she really does see... have good. Good. Oh, I was going to ask if you ever saw Hannah. She's great. in that. Yeah. She's, she's, she's great. She's like Hannah. villainous, you know, like, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, it, you know, 
basically Jason Bourne. <laughs> you know, like yeah, she's yeah. uh she does so much and you know has such a a wide range of things that she does do. And uh yeah, she's one of those people who I'm so excited that we're gonna get to watch her, you know, really just put out a lot of great, great performances throughout her career. And I would like one yeah. of those performances to be in a horror movie. She also too, almost in like a similar to a Anya Taylor joy sort of way. I yeah, can see her in yeah. a modern horror film, but I could definitely see her in like a, the witch sort of period piece. Right. And I, I hate saying she just has the face for it, but she has the face for it. She yeah. She, she and, does have a timeless face, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you could put her in any era and I think she would be, and she's versatile enough. She would make it work. She has yeah. all these little things too. Like, I, I don't want to say like the makings of a scream queen, but she has a good face for like a sympathetic figure and just somebody trying to confront evil. Like there's something that's so innocent about her. Yeah. That I think it's such a great, you know, opposite to all the terrible things going on around her. That's a great pick. Mm. Speaking of the yeah. witch, uh, apparently in real life, she is friends with uh, your girl, Brett. Uh, um, I, I, just lost her name in my head. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Anya Taylor Joy, the great Anya Taylor Joy. They're friends in real life, so I think they should collaborate. I think they should do a horror movie together. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, for my choice, great choices from both of you. Um, Thank you. The person I picked, who I think is just one of the best actors of our generation, and uh, I don't love every movie he does, but I think he's great, and he is a movie star. He's very famous. Uh, that'd be Andrew Garfield. Um, who I think Andrew Garfield should specifically, I think he should be a villain in a horror movie. I think he has to him this sort of, he can do an uncanny innocence. I think similar to like Anthony Perkins in the original. I was just going to say, yeah, a lot yeah. of people have said he should play if they made a remake. He, Cause he's got the face and he's got this like yeah. boy next door, but still something off about him. Yes. Energy to him. Yes, yeah. If they ever remade Psycho, or if they well, <laughs> if they ever do that for the first time, uh, remake Psycho, because uh, they've well, never they done that Vince before. Vince Vaughn first, but <laughs> right, right. Vince Vaughn gets the first chance because uh, uh, he would be my first choice. But um, no, Andrew Garfield, I think, would just be incredible. I think he could do creepy so well. Uh, I mean, he's in one of my favorite movies of this century, which is Under the Silver Lake, um, where I think he does a great job playing um against a lot of horrific scary things even though it's not quite a horror movie and he's also uh you know he has a decent amount of range um you know he can play very like but like even if you watch like him in hacksaw ridge where he's like a very wholesome character there's something about that energy that I think you could easily tweak towards horror I think you could easily take that you know that wholesome uh sort of you know i'm just a regular boy and i'm i, I think everybody I, you know like like i'm against violence <laughs> like you know that type of character and and just change him a little bit he could be scary you know and the, yeah. uh i a serial killer type role i think would be right up his alley i think we got to give evan peters poor evan peters we got to give him a break let him do a rom-com or something and then give andrew garfield his chance to do that type of role um, I, also, you mentioned Under the Silver Lake, written by 
David Robert Mitchell, same as It Follows. It Follows, yeah. Imagine like a David Robert. Sorry, my uh, AirPods finally died, so you will be on speaker the last part of this conversation. That's fine. Uh, But uh, yeah, like imagine like a David uh, Robert Mitchell, you know, written version of Psycho with Andrew Garfield and like kind of like that eeriness of It Follows. I think that could be like really fun. He does yeah. have like the handsome serial killer sort of thing, like a Joe and you sort of Penn Badgley energy to him. And he's yeah. not the biggest guy either. So it's even like creepier because you're like, he's even more, you know, he's like even more unassuming in a way. Right. He's, he's not, he's not bulky. He's not imposing as a presence, but I think he could do like, that's almost what works, you know? Yeah. Is like that... he, he definitely has more of that Anthony Perkins energy where Vince Vaughn was just too big and bulky and like yeah. threatening looking where uh, <laughs> you know yeah that was such weird casting uh silver lake that scene with the piano player yeah i want to find something that really shows how that was made how that song was composed like that is just that's a scene that really stands out for me in that movie which is a movie that more people should really see yeah. And um, the club in the cave at the end, uh, bringing it back to the Evil Dead series, is the um, cave that uh, Ash stashes the car in um, Army of Darkness in. And oh. it is also the cave that the Batmobile comes out of. It's the uh, Bronson cave, which actually is not a cave. It's sort of like a, a hole that goes all the way through a, <laughs> a rock. Uh, so I, I have been in the nightclub in under the silver lake. So that's incredible. Yeah. Um, well, I think that does it guys. I think that's another, uh, Halloween special under our belt. Um, I think Brett sounds a lot better now that his AirPods have died. And I think maybe we should, uh, record it again for my, real. My, uh, I treat her like my mother-in-law, but uh, vacuuming, yelling at her dog in the distance. <laughs> well, I I had a black cat meowing through most of my uh, talking. Well, I don't have AirPods to hide it out anymore. So nothing's gonna be last year when uh, Benji was running around while we were. I do recording. re-listen to that sometimes because it's very it's funny great. to me. Oh, yeah. it is, and Benji, Benji, Maybe I think will one day he, he'll it one day be a great he'll be a great podcast guest. He's yeah. <laughs> well, he is the reason that Allison and I no longer podcast together. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, you you did tell us earlier today that we should both have children, and um, I uh, I will save that for when I am sick of recording a podcast. I will um, say the name Benji does sound like a combination of Johnny and I's names. Was that oh, a little bit, yeah? <laughs> Yeah, that well, your two uh, prodigal sons. I, I was hoping you wouldn't notice. Now it's weird. <laughs> oh, he looks like me, but he's smart like Johnny. <laughs> uh, he does look like kid. you. Yeah, he, uh, that's why every time I say hi to him, we always hit it off. Maybe he just kind of is just like, oh, we have to be related. He's young enough. He's just like, oh, if we look alike, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's uh, he's definitely going to look a lot like his uncle kevin where he i think he's going to be very tall and skinny and uh you know i you know i i'm 
he is a uh, a proud Aryan boy, just like Brett. <laughs> Does have his blonde hair and blue eyes, and uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Allison brought him to some comics barbecue thing once, and he just followed me around all day. I was just like, "Did you tell him like I'm his brother or something?" No, and you might be his he, dad. I don't know. What we were walking around. Yeah, he would just like randomly hold my hand. He's just like, "Hey, come here. I'm gonna eat a hot dog." I was like, oh, "I I don't. I shouldn't." Uh, no, I'm not following you while you do this activity, but uh, your mom's nearby, so it's not weird. Okay. Yeah. And my uh, other son looks just like Brent Terhune. So uh, no. I only, uh, I, I'm creating the next generation of excellent comedian. Oh. Well, maybe, maybe in 10, 15 years, he'll join us for one of these. So I hope so. Yeah. You have no idea great. how cute that would be. That would be adorable. All our kids have a podcast together. Yeah, I know I'm biased, but uh, he's a he's a pretty like he understands humor like he uh, he he does bits and uh, I I, that's good. Yeah, I'm sure all you well, I'm sure you just play your albums for him constantly so he can learn. Right. uh, You know, I I have a bit on uh, I was telling Johnny earlier uh, that I'm editing my fourth album this weekend. And uh, I have a bit that kind of uh, makes fun of my younger son, Harry. And it was very uncomfortable to be editing that bit while sitting in the room with him. (laughs) Oh, I'm a, I'm a bad dad. Speaking of which, do you, uh, do you have an idea of when the album will be out? It will be out before the end of the year. I am ambitiously going to try to, drop the audio at the same time that I dropped the video, which will be completely animated. I want to just Ooh. animate the entire set. Um, awesome. I've seen what you've done with like, I saw what you did with Brett Mercer's bit and yeah. some of the animations. That was really cool. Yeah. And, and I did one for Sam Rager and uh, there's a, um, um, cause Brett Hayden was at, uh was there the weekend that i recorded and there is a a little shout out that i (laughs) do to brett uh i don't know if he was in the room or in the green room at the time but i happened to pull out of my ass that elbow skin is called your weenus skin and um (laughs) it it's one of those things that it's an inside joke for people that were there at the time where brett was doing his set um talking about uh, what is Asperger's called now? High Autism functioning. Spectrum disorder yeah. Level yeah. One. yeah. So uh, when I pull that out, I, I yell, uh, all right, Brett, who's autistic now? <laughs> <laughs> I pull I it I off because I can make eye contact. contact. Yeah. Okay. So you were in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also referenced Carl Johnson a lot uh, during my set and I was scared that he was mad, but in the recording, no. I can hear him laughing throughout the whole thing and it was such a, a a big relief to me just because carl johnson has such a distinct laugh i was gonna I'm say like, you know his laugh when you hear it oh yeah, <laughs> yeah you'll yeah, know yeah. if you're not funny to carl if you're on the same show as him you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so yeah, yeah it, was, it was a fun weekend uh brett did a guest set for one of the shows and uh you know there's it, it was very stressful for me because i hadn't been doing uh, that many weekends and uh, it, it really made me happy to go to the club and, you know, have Brett there and uh, be my yeah. emotional support friend. <laughs> so 
Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for being there, Brett. Of course. I mean, Johnny was there like the following weekend or something, but yeah, know. Johnny's at the club next week. I'm I'm there this weekend. This oh, this weekend. weekend. Yeah. yeah, I'm well, actually there yeah. the weekend after. Oh, perfect. Oh, I was going to ask you if you had anything to plug. I guess is that your next thing? Uh, yeah, I'm at uh, Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase Sweetest Day weekend, and I don't have a date for it, but we might do Cinema Rose Crunch at the Indie this month. Ooh. We might do the movie Sleepaway Camp, and I nice. haven't booked it yet. And I can't think of two like cooler guys to potentially. I yes 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 yeah. yes yes. Okay, so there's Absolutely nothing confirmed, there. but if it's gonna happen, it'll be right before Halloween, probably the weekend before. So maybe that Friday. I gotta I gotta text Joanna, but I haven't. She gave me a bunch of dates, but I haven't reached out because I just had to figure out the rest of my month. I just felt bad. I couldn't commit to anything just yet. But and that's the case. We'll put it out there. We'll put it in the show notes if anything gets confirmed. And I do want to plug my new podcast because the truth cast has ended. Uh, You guys have both been guests on that. And I am so happy about that. And Johnny, you wrote very kind words about it. And um, uh, my current podcast is called Soundtrack to Your Life, which is uh, I talk to different creative people about the music that touched them. I have six more episodes to do in this first season and uh one of the spots i have slotted is for johnny mockney to be a guest on it and uh i'm very excited me too uh, because i know so much about your music your movie tastes i'm uh i'm excited to talk music with you because i don't really know that much about you know the music uh, aside from soundtracks that yeah. you're into so yeah, i'm really looking forward to that conversation me too yeah uh thanks once again guys it's always a pleasure and um i i look forward to this every year i assume we'll probably get back together for christmas time if you guys can make it yeah i would um, love to i like the uh i like the format of this episode if uh you maybe want to try to uh figure out how we can kind of repeat yeah. the magic for uh christmas yes we'll do same that and christmas movies uh yeah maybe same thing with just with christmas movies that might be the yeah, way this to is do usually it. where we sit there and go what should we do yeah, yeah this is the part where we always come up with the next idea. i think that sounds like a good idea yeah yeah three actors three best christmas performances and then somebody who hasn't done a christmas movie yeah we will have to exclude anybody who's played santa claus because we've already done that yeah Fair. so yeah, non Santa Claus performances. So, yeah, <laughs> that actually is uh, it's very specific, but that's actually kind of fun. Best non yeah. Santa Christmas movie performances. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then we'd have to find actors that have not been in a Christmas movie that we can we can pitch. Maybe pitch like a little bit of a plot. Like, what would we put Ooh. them in with a Christmas movie? Yeah, like what specific movie? You know? Yeah. Okay, I think we got it. Um, yeah, maybe once we get our three actors that should be. <laughs> we try to figure out what the plot of that movie yeah. would be based on who our three actors are. Yeah. How do we put the three of them in one movie? That's great. Yeah. 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 You guys should be running this podcast. This is incredible. This is. Uh... <laughs> well, I'll uh, tell you, if I was, I probably would have been a guest on a Strange Brew episode. I was going to say next, uh, after Christmas, I will have you back to do Strange Brew, Mike. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be holding Promise. my breath. <laughs> hold your breath hold your breath all you want january january we'll lock it in okay uh-huh <laughs> yep. all right january
We're going to uh, do it. I'll, I'll believe it when we do it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We will. All right. I get it. Your audience skews younger. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all huge. They're all huge SCTV fans, though, too. So they want to hear it. Um, <laughs> let's just, uh, as long as we can, like, uh, play some TikToks or uh, maybe have, like, Subway Surfers going in the background while we're talking about it, I think I think it'll be fine. Okay. And yeah. uh, coincidentally, uh, I think Johnny and I both did this last night. We both watched uh, Totally Killer. And, yeah. Uh, uh, Johnny gave it three stars on Letterbox. I gave it three and a half stars. So I think we both recommend it as, a, you know, it's, it's a fun horror comedy. Yeah. It's a good little watch. Definitely in the vein of a freaky and happy death day. Like those yeah. types of. Yeah. Yeah. You should see yeah. it, Brett. Yeah. yeah, let's. Uh, if you're going, uh, if we're going the same place later tonight, I'm sure we'll talk about it. We might watch we uh, the new VHS movie that's on Shutter. Ooh, yeah, VHS we can do that. 85. 85. So it's it's an anthology, a bunch of shorts from the 80s. I didn't watch mm. last year's. The nine, I think it was 99. I did it was not watch. Fine. It was okay. Fine. Zach and I watched it. This new one, though, uh, a few reviewers, Chris Stuckman, I think Stuckman, another guy yeah. gave it some good reviews. So I, I'm interested to see what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah. too. All right, guys. Uh, well, I hope the rest of your Halloween season is fantastic. I can't wait to do this again for Christmas. Uh, love you both. Always happy to do this. Thank you. I love so you guys much. too. Uh, you guys Thank are you. really fantastic. My mother-in-law and... vacuuming in the background. <laughs> Couldn't even hear it. You, I I love doing this, Johnny. Thank you so much for putting this together and for doing the podcast. And uh, uh, this is always so much fun.